so let's uh, let's bring it to the main event then. I guess mm-hmm. there are so many movies that came out in December 2002. I think we got to put it on the short list for maybe best m- single month of movies in movie history because goddamn, yeah. yeah, yeah. there were so many. I don't know how you're gonna find a better month than what all went down here. Um, I've got a list of. 20 movies and it's not comprehensive and I watched 14 of them so um, like you said we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some here and probably push some into January because that's a little bit slower of a month yeah for sure mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to just pull up the list really quick and we'll just kind of like go chronologically um, sure. I did not watch adaptation or analyze that I would like to do you have anything that you want to say about either of those i say we push adaptation because that is a great movie and absolutely worth watching so we'll move that one to january and analyze analyze that is analyze that was a a blatant cash grab uh by the stars um and it looks awful and this is also around the same time that sopranos exists so this movie is ripping off sopranos um and doing a really shitty comedy of it um and yeah, uh, they spent $60 million on this movie, and I'm sure $55 million of it went to the principal cast. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, Harold Ramis... This movie, did, does, this movie did not make $60 million. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Uh, do, do, are, do, are we going to do a guessing game, or should we just, just talk about the numbers up front? I don't think we need to make a game out of it. Uh, I, I won't look at the numbers for... Uh, uh, no, we, we don't need to do a game this time. There's too many yeah. movies. Yeah. Right, we'll be here for it, a while. It, it didn't make its money back. It cost sixty, and it made fifty-five. Um, yeah, and you know Harold Ramis, uh, good director, really good director. This is one of those things where it's like, oh, the first one made so much money, we're obliged to make another one, and it's just, it's, it's bad. It's just really, really bad. I did not watch it. I didn't watch it. By the way, to be clear, I did not want to watch it. I just read what everyone said about it, and I'm sure it sucks. Uh, how about Equilibrium? I did watch Equilibrium. Yes, I, I watched it too. Oh, and Wes, you've oh, seen this one too, right? Equilibrium. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so this is a Kurt Wimmer film. Um, he is uh, is technically his debut as a director. He would also direct Ultraviolet. He's actually, believe mm. it or not, for as shitty as this story is, he's known for being a writer. Um, okay. Which is kind of insane to think if you look back on what this movie is that he is known for. His niche thing that he's good at is writing. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I, I don't know. I'll, what did why don't it, you guys take? Point? Do you have any? What, what do you want to say about it? Do you have any other credits for what like what he's written? Oh, um, I'll I'll, I'll look him up real quick just to kind of give okay. you some some names of stuff. But well, no, the, I the didn't sort write of like hand. the sort of general premise for 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 the narrative of Equilibrium is like think of it as Fahrenheit 451, except it's not books that have been banned. It's emotions. You're not allowed to feel things, and like as a consequence of that, uh, any sort of art is banned, which sounds like a tremendous world to me. I hate art. <laughs> um, but like uh, people have to take these as like sort of supplements in order to suppress their emotions. And if people are caught with any sort of art form, they are arrested, often executed, and the, the, the art is confiscated. And the, the sort of uh, uh, inciting incident for these these movies is christian bale is out on one of these like uh sweeps where they go around him and sean bean are going around uh looking for people who have emotions and uh, it, it turns out like sean bean has been like skipping his supplements and christian bale is on to him as so, like turns him in and gets him killed 
Um, and then Christian Bale, and I, I forget why. I forget what it was that like made Christian Bale want to stop taking his supplements, but he like stops some, and he starts feeling things too. And he like had a ribbon or something. I don't know. I don't know what it like. Yeah, because there was the lady, um, and like for some reason he feels a connection with her, even though she really doesn't have a lot of screen no. time. We don't know much about this lady, um, but yeah, the, I think like the big draw of this movie is is definitely not the narrative, but it's like the action sequences because like it, it is all very deeply silly, but like they they have this sort of a uh, practice of martial arts that they call gun kata. And it's based on this principle Don't that joke about it. It'll save your if, life you're, one day. if you're being shot at, there are these like these these maneuvers, these dance moves that you can use that will put you in the least probable places where the bullets are going to be. So as long as you're doing this dance and like shooting your guns around, um, you are going to never get shot and you're going to like shoot all of the people who are firing at you provided that they're just like standing still and shooting at you. You know, I think like the, the, the big hole in the premise of this gun karate is that everyone who's trying to shoot him is always standing still. No one ever tries to move around and do it back to him until Tay digs. And then he just gets his face sliced off. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, there's like something like uh, a stupidly fun and hypnotic about seeing Batman uh, with with his guns dancing around it and shooting people. I mean, it's it's fun, but it is very deeply stupid. Yeah, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with all that. I, I feel like there is a lot to say about this movie, though, for how bad it is. Um, I, I think it's like you took the premise of Minority Report. There's a lot of like futuristic thought crime stuff happening here. It's like Minority Report with Matrix, but this movie cost or this movie's budget was twenty million dollars. So fucking nothing. They had nothing to work mm. with here in terms of a budget, and it really shows this movie looks like trash. Yeah. Um they they could, it's, it's yeah. very it's bland and gray. Yeah, I think also there's gotta be a body count of over a hundred people getting you know, getting ventilated. And you'll notice that there's never a drop of blood, aside from again, aside from the absurdly weird Tay Diggs face slicing thing. <laughs> there's no real blood anywhere uh, ever in this movie, and like it's all gray squibs. Like, <coughs> if they if if it was like real blood, like this would be a bloodbath film. This would be like mm. unwatchable with just how much gore and blood splatter would be everywhere, from how much he just like shoots the shit out of just these random looking video game characters, video game NPCs that he's mowing down and mm. mass. I hate it. Oh God, I hate it. All of that. All the gun <laughs> stuff makes no sense. It's bullshit. I love this movie. Um, I uh, it's great. This is like, this is like middle school yeah. dystopian shit too. Oh, yeah. This premise is awful. Like they, the, the logo looks like a swastika. It's so bluntly obvious. And like, they're giving people drugs like it's Brave New World because they can't, they're not allowed to experience emotion. And like, that's what drives war in this society. It's not like land disputes or resources or energy crises. So, it's art, it's emotion. And there's what? so much violence anyway. What like, the fuck? There, is there this? are people who take like the, the emotion pills, but they still need like this militarized police force. It's, it's a very violent movie for. A movie that's like, hey, no, um, if you get rid of emotions, you get rid of violence. Like, mm, lots of people are still dying, fellas. Uh, yeah, it's it is like you're you're saying, um, 
this very juvenile sort of amalgamation of all these different sort of like sci-fi dystopian properties where it takes a little bit from Brave New World and a little bit from The Matrix and a little bit from Fahrenheit 451. And you end up with this narrative that gets like so muddled that like by the time you get to like an hour and a half in, it seems like the director the producer was like oh shit we need to like end this somehow how are we ending this movie what's actually going to happen here and then you get like this this sort of like uno reverse where tay diggs is like don't worry we caught the guy who's feeling emotions and it's christian bale and christian bale's like oh au contraire it's tay diggs like and then the the um the the sort of uh head honcho the sort of uh, president of the society's like take Tay Diggs away and then they do it and then Christian Bale goes home and the police break down his door and like oh Uno reverse card reversed again take Christian Bale away and Tay Diggs is like ah you thought you got me but I was on to you the whole time like why did you even have the scene where you thought Tay Diggs was being taken <laughs> away you just undercut your own drama the next fucking scene <laughs> what have you done here you just wasted like 10 minutes of screen time on something that you just immediately were like, no, never mind, that wasn't a thing at all. Yeah, yeah. And then Tadig's got his face sliced off. Yeah, the, the plot of this thing is so contrived. For the, for the bottom it really is up so. Too. Like, it was just the weirdest. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It has it has worse future, like near future commentary than something like Demolition Man. I think that Demolition <laughs> Man, in a lot of ways, is a clever satire of the future. And this, again, is like, I'm 14 and I'm deep, is what this entire plot Right. I think I think that's a tremendous double feature. Equilibrium followed by Demolition oh, Man. Honestly, no. Like go. this movie is unwatchable. <laughs> like this movie's bad. No, I, I would not recommend I anybody enjoy watch this movie. movie. I don't care what you say. I think I think you can have fun with Equilibrium, but you do have to understand. Like you're not going to watch something that's good. I watched too, I watched fall, too many like, profoundly good movies this month to tell <laughs> anybody to waste their time with Equilibrium. They should have <laughs> dumped this movie. Like they should have dumped it in February. They should have been like, no, like fucking Scorsese and Spielberg. Like all of these like, amazing directors are having movies drop in December. Why are you releasing True. Equilibrium in December? If if you put it in. February or March, then it's 2003's Reign of Fire. Yeah, to be clear, there was about $3 billion of domestic gross this month. It made $5 million. Mm. This movie this movie cost 20 and it made 5 And, you know, and I do love Christian Bale. And for what it's worth, Christian Bale can chew some fucking scenery. Like, mm. he's doing it. And, like, Tay Diggs is in, you know, when he has his face attached to himself, he's very good at this. <laughs> Sean Bean, uh, uh, you know, Emily Watson, we didn't talk about her. Emily Watson's great in this. I love William Fitchner, oh. great character actor. Um, but no, this movie's, ugh. Ugh. Oh, no, it's, it's not good. Oh, he, he wrote, it's... by the way, if you're curious, Sphere, The Thomas Crown Affair, Ultraviolet, well, he also directed that one. Law, remember that movie, Law Abiding Citizen? Yeah. He wrote, yeah. He wrote that. Wow. Uh, he wrote the remakes of Total Recall and Point Break. Um, mm. Most recently, he did the fourth, I'm guessing, Expendables, because the Expendables A is a four. Yeah. That, that's a lot, of, a lot of hit and miss in that lineup right there. Yikes. Okay, I think I'm done. I think I got all that out of my system. You, that felt you good. You good now? <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so bad. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Wes, Wes, we're gonna watch oh, it yeah. again. It's, it's then a, we're gonna watch Demolition Man. Let's do it right now. <laughs> I mean, they're they're such like opposite movies. Like uh, uh, Equilibrium, I think generally has like some some entertaining action scenes, even though they make no sense. 
uh, and is very like drab and gray and uh, Demolition Man is just so like over the top and colorful like it is a really interesting contrast piece yeah oh and everyone should be deaf they're shooting guns next to their ears they should all be deaf mm-hmm mm -hmm. like the no, fuck uh, hearings and emotion and they take the supplement oh that's yeah. right yeah and again I cannot get over that that's the thing that caused World War 3 was art Mm -hmm. It was fucking artistic expression. Somebody was fucking saw the Mona Lisa and just had to launch a nuclear warhead. Jesus Christ. Okay, um, moving on. Uh, I, the yes. next one I yes, have, yes, yes. I don't know if you have, is um, about Schmidt. Uh, that one I was not able to get to. I would like to, though. It may be the best movie of the month. I say we push oh, it. Shit. I love this movie. That That, that is a, a movie with, uh, it's, it's in some really high company. That's high. That's high praise. Yep, yeah, yeah uh, I, I love this film. Um, did you watch either Drumline or The Hot Chick? No, no, I did not. I did not, and I'm okay if we don't talk about them. <laughs> I am also okay with that. I don't think we ever need to talk about a Rob Schneider movie on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Wes, do you object? No, no, go for it. And, oh, and for what it's worth, both those movies made their budgets back. Uh, Drumline cost mm. 20 and it made 60. Hot Chick cost 34 and it made 55. Yep. Yeah, again, wild, like that this movie is being released in December. Like, that is, like, a July movie, if I've ever seen a July movie in the wrong month. This also has to be around the time that South Park episode comes out that basically just ends Rob Snyder's career. <laughs> where it's just so apparent <laughs> The how, biggest douche in the universe. How yeah. low effort all of his stuff is. <laughs> Rob Snyder's the carrot. Yeah. Um, next movie I have is a Spanish film called Intacto. I did not. I could not find this one. I uh, I also did not. I watched this back in the day and absolutely loved it for its premise, but I didn't rewatch it. Um, this director um, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo. He's going to go on to direct. You know, keep in mind, Twenty Eight Days Later hasn't come out yet, but there will be a sequel to that movie called Twenty Eight Weeks Later. He'll be the one that directs that film. Hmm. It's a really cool premise. The idea is that it's um, an underground gambling club that gambles on games of chance. Um, where luck is sort of this tangible commodity that people have imbued in them, like it's a magical property. Um, and they make them do all these sadistic games to try to, you know, survive or not be injured. Um, you know, obviously you can think of a game like Russian Roulette. Like Russian Roulette is, is the perfect example of a game of chance where luck would have to be on your side to win. So it's, I, it's I remember like you. I remember you talking about a movie it was probably this one with this premise mm -hmm. years and years ago that sounds really familiar like luck is like this this uh a tangible trait where you can like find a lucky person and like extract that luck like it's democrats and adrenochrome <laughs> right right or like yeah have you ever heard that thing where it's like oh a plane crashed with 60 people on board and one survivor it's like mm -hmm. from the this movie would tell you that that one survivor is you know, we keep using the word lucky. It's like, it's not even, it doesn't feel like it really captures the gravity of what it means to be lucky. It's like they're, they're that special. They have a magical property about them that keeps them safe in these truly dangerous and extreme circumstances that guides them to safety. To, to put it like in, in X-Men terms, the character Domino, like her superpower is luck. And there have been a couple of different writers who sort of like experimented like, okay, what does that actually mean that she's lucky? And there's one writer in particular who wrote a, um, a Domino uh, solo series for about a year where like her luck powers are like this, this sort of like uh, telekinesis of the subconscious. So she doesn't realize that she's like 
uh, tapping into these telekinetic powers, but the the her her subconscious will sort of make like make these predictive um uh, cognitive functions that will will alter outcomes of things using her her powers but she's not actually able to like on, on a conscious level control these things yeah that's a really good way to put it i that if you had to describe a magic system for how this this thing works in this movie intacto that's got to be it huh. mm. Uh, did you watch Made in Manhattan? No, no, I, I didn't. And it doesn't have that bad of reviews. Uh, it seems like it got reviewed well enough for what it is. Uh, it cost 55 and it made 155 so fairly popular mm. film. Made in Manhattan, of course, is uh, what Ray Fiennes is in it, fresh off of Red Dragon. Ray Fiennes is uh, <laughs> the love interest in a rom-com opposite of J-Lo. Um, yeah, she's so... like a, a Made in Manhattan, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maid as an M A I D. So um, that's that's her role, I guess, is she's the maid in this thing, and uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. Who gives a shit? Shenanigans ensue. Yeah. Um, can we move on? And, uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Yes, yes, I did watch this film. Have you watched it? I watched this one as well. Oh, okay. Well, uh, what do you? Uh, so Stuart Baird, um, who has also made Executive Decision, um, he uh, notoriously intentionally didn't learn anything about Star Trek. Um, he mm, wanted okay. nothing to do with Star Trek as a property and wanted to make his own thing. Uh, so, what, what what did you think of this movie, John? Which which is it's it's interesting to learn that because it was I think the plot predicated on you being aware of uh, Patrick Stewart as like his, his as a Star Trek character um, because like the the premise is. Uh, by by some sort of happenstance, he gets cloned by a a sort of like rival faction in space, and yeah, uh, that this this younger clone version of him, um, got played by Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, thank a you. A really Please. young, fresh-faced Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is is sort of like led down this darker path, and he's trying to. Uh, Patrick Stewart, his character is trying to deal with the fact that it's like seeing this younger version of himself and trying to wrestle with like, hey, if if our positions were reversed, if I led the life that he led, would I also choose uh, this this darker path of, of war and destruction? Um, and I, I don't think it like really successfully examines the sort of like nature versus nurture aspect of like, Hey, am, am I a good person because of the environment around me? Or am I like a good person because of this, this, uh, uh it, it's my DNA to be this, this virtuous person. Can, can I reverse the course of this younger version of me? Can I reverse the course of his life because he's capable of the good that I'm capable of because it is part of me and therefore part of him who is a clone. Um, I think ostensibly that, that's what this is about, but really they make I, I think, no effort to, to yeah, dig, get, dig, yeah. dig into that concept. And it was really hard to discern like what the actual conflict was. Because there, there was some sort of like space politicking going on that was terribly uninteresting. Like the movie starts with like a, a political meeting. It's like a Senate or something. And then from there goes to a wedding scene, and 
it does such a, a terrible job of drawing you in. Like there's nothing interesting happening in either one yeah. of those. You know, it's funny because I literally, I'm not in my notes. Those are the two best scenes in the film. Oh, yeah? I really do think that. Um, and you're right in context. They don't make sense together. I think in a lot of ways, do you, do you remember when we talked about ghost ship? Ghost ship mm. is a totally worthless film aside from the unholy start to it. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> once you've watched the first five minutes of the movie, you could turn the thing off. Like you've seen yeah, the you've only seen interesting thing it does. <laughs> and it's the same there. Like that, that Senate scene where everyone just brutally dies is like jarring for a Star Trek film. Like, you, you know, people die in Star Trek films, you know, routinely, but not like that. That was some kind of grisly stuff. And it kind of sets the tone that it doesn't deliver for the rest of the movie. And I think that the only, and the reason why I like the wedding scene so much is because it's the only point where anything feels natural to this film. Like, keep in mind, this is the same crew. These guys have been on a TV show for over 100 episodes, right? Um it's well, they've done like two or three movies together. They've done this is their fourth and final movie together, which is so sad that this is what they go out on is this film. But yeah, they've been doing this for twenty years as these characters working together and playing off of each other. And it's the few one of the few times where you really get to see their camaraderie and chemistry and like see why they work together. Like they could do this in their sleep. And it feels like we're deprived of a lot of that stuff because it wants to tell this stupid like Picard is a badass story arc. I guess. Mm. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I do think that they're the t- the movie should have just spent more time with the cast, getting to be themselves and getting to be with each other, because that's like that's what really works about Star Trek: Next Generation. And I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan or anything, but I've seen I've seen all four of the Next Generation movies, and this is this is this is the worst. Yeah, it, it really is like kind of sad because I, I think um, I, I don't think we got to talk about this movie because we weren't talking about movies at the time, but like uh, First Contact is like a generally like really great movie. Oh, I love First Contact. Also, you know what? Here's is a bone to pick to me. And again, I'm, I'll tell you up front, I'm not a big Star Trek guy, but like, I know one of the rules is that you're not supposed to make, again, like the movie fucking First Contact, you're not supposed to interact with an alien race if they haven't achieved warp speed. And they literally okay. do this in this movie where Picard races dune buggies on a planet oh, surface yeah. with aliens that don't know aliens exist. Yeah, that that was fucking wild. Like that's like that's the one rule. That's like the fucking rule. That that, that whole scene was so strange because like, okay, we need some sort of action beat here. All right, let's have them race dune buggies on this alien planet. And like, it was also like kind of jarring that the the people who are inhabiting this planet that they are on, like their first reaction to like there's like aliens in our planet. So I was like, okay, let's get our dune buggies and fucking shoot at them. Yeah, well, they they established that that's uh, that's Arkansas on the space planet. Yeah. <laughs> we have to talk their language. Oh boy, yeah, no, this movie it's just it's this I don't know it's not it's not that it's not very good. It's there's no. I don't want to say it's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's just a sadly forgettable film, and they've made some really good ones. And I think it, it I would put it almost entirely on this guy Stuart Baird. He should not have fucking touched this thing, like Jonathan mm. Frakes. Has already directed films. He's the he uh, he's um, William Riker. Yeah. Um. He he already knows the characters. He he knows the flow. He knows the writing and the point of the series, having been involved in every episode of it. You know. So it's like. Yeah. He he actually like yeah. has a, has a, a a respect for the characters that I'm sure like people who are fans of the series would like to have seen. Like there were, um, characters who are like dreadfully underused. Like you hardly saw Lavar Burton. 
Yeah. Oh, and they, they technically kill data, but then they also have essentially a shitty plot device that gives them a backup mm. data. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where they've just got another like idiot robot that they can pretend is data from now on. If they yeah, were to they, make they, more they pull like the switch and like they, they pull the switcheroo where like hey, hey we need to like send in uh, a decoy. So uh, uh, the the real data pretends to be the idiot one and go is able to like go undercover and yeah. set what would he even do like oh like they they captured picard and like him pretending to be the idiot robot who's like like a a, a sleeper cell or some shit mm-hmm. anyway yeah this movie was dumb and weird like why is this releasing in december yeah yeah why this is a this summer like a, release this should have been released in the summer and what are they doing? also specifically don't release it on the same fucking weekend as lord of the rings <laughs> right this came out on the There's same much... weekend as two towers there's a much better fantasy movie that's coming out. Um, Nemesis um, cost sixty and made seventy, so yeah, it, right. it's it, it made enough of its it made its budget back, but just barely, and clearly indicated that you know next generation at least is done. And this is also when the reboot happens, right? Like it's it's not going to be for another like six years, I think. But the next thing that comes out is that reimagined Star Trek from. Oh, the the J.J. Abrams? J.J. Abrams, that's right, yeah. Mm. So, and anyway, and we just mentioned it. Let's fucking talk about it. This is like the centerpiece of blockbuster movies for the year, frankly. Lord of there the Rings, Two Towers. Follow-up to the movie that came out a year previous. Quick uh, quick sequel coming out uh, right in the next year. Um, uh, Peter Jackson directed this of uh, Dead Alive mm. and Meet the Feebles. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think all these movies are real good. Wes, tag in. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that. Two Towers, thumbs up? Two Towers is really good. Yeah. yeah. I just actually caught the end of it the other day. I have a friend of mine who um, watches the extended cut, the extended versions. Oh, sure. Uh, they take an entire day and just watch all three of them back to back. Oh my goodness! <laughs> nice. So I, I caught part of uh, one of them. <laughs> uh, Who's your favorite character in Two Towers, or just Lord of the Rings in general? Yeah. Two Towers specifically. Two Towers specifically. Oh, I, I yeah. don't know. Uh, Is it Carl Urban? <laughs> which one has the big? <laughs> There's the joke of um, what's his name, Gorm. <laughs> It's the battering ram they use in was it Two Towers? No, that's um, Return of the I King. Don't I don't remember. <laughs> um, I don't. Where do we want to? Where do we want to start with this one? We have uh, we we have our our main cast. Well, the, yeah, a bunch to, of bros. Kind of set the bunch, scene. Bunch of bros on a trip. Yeah, like the big centerpiece of this one is like Helm's Deep, but mm-hmm. you see that, but you also see Frodo, Samwise, and and Smeargle doing their thing. You've then got Pippin. <laughs> Smeargle, the well-known painting Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you got Pippin and, and um, Merryweather. Uh, they're working with the, the tree folk. Yep. They're trying mm-hmm. to, to work with the tree folk to make something happen. You've also got, voiced by John Rhys-Davies. Yeah. yeah. You've got the main crew trying to dispel the corruption of the king so that he can command the Helm's Deep army. You have Faromir and Aromir um, as well as commanding their specific units, doing something to kind of like organize the troops and move them around the battlefields, right? All of this is happening all at once. 
And it's amazing that all of these, you know, chess pieces can be in play on the board simultaneously, like put it, put it, put it all back and forth. And God, the movie just works so well. The movie just works so well as that. And the first hour and like 40 minutes of it is that. And then the last hour is just this like crazy action sequence that rivals anything. Well, frankly, this is maybe one of the best action sequences ever made. Yeah, I think that um, the, the movie was really well cut, really well edited because um, the, the source material, it was it's actually divided up. Like the first half of the book is just um, all the other characters. And then the second half of the book is just Frodo and Sam. And you get their side of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And you, you have all these different pieces moving around. So like our, our main cast from Fellowship of the Ring, they've all scattered. I can't remember if it was at the ending of the last movie or at the beginning of this one where Sean Bean dies. Oh, that was the end of the last, the end of okay. fellowship. And that's, that's when you get like everybody scattered and then you're, you're kind of like seeing them all go down their, their path. And some of them, you're able to like, see how they get back together. Um, but you're, you know, Frodo and Sam, they're not gonna, we're not going to see you know, them reunite with anyone until, you know, of course we get to the end of the next movie, but you get um, all of like the like the the wider world stuff. So the the first movie is like very concentrated. Hey, we're all gonna take a trip together, and really just like uh, this really broy road trip where they're all just kind of hanging out, and then shit goes awry, and then you you get to witness a lot of like the the military intrigue of the rest of the world. You know, you get to like the, the, the place with Carl Urban where they're all riding on horses and you get to see like, you're saying that the guy Faramir and like the, the guerrilla tactics of, of his nation down there right next to where all the goblins hang out. Um, but yeah. And, and then like you said, you get to end it with uh, this really huge battle scene, which is probably like one of the, the uh, biggest battle scenes in terms of scope that we've seen in a, in a movie, certainly in a, in a fantasy movie to this point. Oh yeah. Um, I actually, when I was watching it, I just kind of really just soaked in the incredible use of tension and pacing, um, the ebbs and flows of the battle, these huge pop-off moments that come up in it. It's just a truly spectacular fight. You know, it like it starts with them like, oh, we've only got 300 men. How are we going to fight off this newly minted orc army? And then like they horn blows. And then it's like Legolas is like, that's not an orc horn. And it's like, he knows it's his dudes. He knows it's a fucking like whole <laughs> slew of these elven archers come in. And you're like, oh, hell yes. This is going to be great. This is going to be so I, I, good. I remember being in the movie theaters for Two Towers, and I was sitting next to your brother, Jamie. Um, yeah. John's brother, Jamie. You don't have a brother, Ryan. Um, I remember when that part came where the elves are like getting on the walls, and they're, they're getting their bows ready and everything like that, and Jamie just in the movie theater just yells out, Elves are so cool! Just freaking... <laughs> uh, what a, that's what accurate. A 100% accurate. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, that's so good. And then, yeah, like, the whole tension of leading up to the fight, and then the fight, like, the melee ensues. Arrows are flying, the things are going up, like... They're taking heavy losses and they're retreating back in. And then, oh no, we're not done yet. Like they're gonna fucking uh, ride down on horses into the fray. Like they, you know, they take the king who's like, all right, we're fucking dying here. This is it. And they're gonna ride out there. And then, on the fucking hilltop, you've got Aramir's army with Gandalf. Just like, okay, this is fucking on. And then they come down 
and just wipe and everything he shows out. up oh my god at the last amazing. possible second yeah yeah Re- really <laughs> great moment and like and, and as soon as he shows up like oh well great that they, 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 they won now they get to uh, just mow them all down and that's it that's the game um there there's uh if i were going to to levy any uh, criticism toward the the narrative in particular like they, they do this like weird pump fake where they're like uh-oh Vigo Mortensen might be dead. I'm like, come on. Nope. I don't think anyone in the theater like actually bought that they were going to kill off Vigo Mortensen. It was like just after yeah. they brought back Ian McKellen, which would have been like a really great moment. Like if, if you were really into the first movie, but somehow had no idea that they were going to bring back Gandalf, that he wasn't really dead. It would have been a, a really amazing reveal. Um, if someone wasn't aware of that uh, before, but the, I don't know. I don't think it was a particularly satisfying moment. Like, oh, look, Viggo Mortensen's actually alive still. Like, I think it it was just kind of like this unnecessary building of tension that was almost immediately resolved. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, what else to say about it? Like, I think maybe the actual single best moment is watching um, the end sack Isengard. Um, I absolutely mm. love that sequence because. <laughs> And and there's that scene, and you you called out earlier. John Reese Davies is the voice of uh, Treebeard or whatever. Like love it, uh, but there's that part where you know they've failed to convince them to fight. Like the 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 trees just decide it's not their not their place. It's not their battle, and they're like, you know what? Okay, instead of doing that, take us this way. Take us this way. Take us right through Isengard knowing that they would see this destruction and of course it sends them into a rage and they're like oh okay we're gonna we're gonna go fuck these people up Mm. Uh, like again just what what an absolutely wonderful sequence and there's like even like it's the cutest thing but like when they're walking in like you just they cut straight into treebeard having an uh, having a discussion with the hobbits where he's like talking about how there's like little mice in his trunk that are like crawling all over him and tickling him it's just like <laughs> what a weird like you could tell he's just been talking the entire time about just like yeah, he, stuff. Just he's been stuff. rambling they're worried about their friends all dying uh, i don't know if, for for me like my my favorite scene was the one where you get uh gandalf doing like the exorcism onto to the king because that's when oh, he's that gonna so like cool. yeah uh rally everybody and like okay no now is now it's time to actually fight back here mm-hmm. um Oh, there's so much yeah. great. There's so much great content involving Frodo and Sam. Um, absolutely and love Serkin. it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Like there's that great moment where he's like, and he's like, you know, do you think someday they're gonna tell the 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 legend of Frodo? And he's like, yeah, but they'll also talk about Sam. And he's like, I was just, there's like, I was being serious though. And he's like, so was I. It's like, mm. oh man, that just gets you right in the heart, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> there's so many absolutely wonderful moments this is the one where Viggo Mortensen in real life breaks his foot because he kicks the helmet <laughs> yep <laughs> right right <laughs> like <laughs> and he's a professional so he just uses it I know like this is what this is wonderful this movie is just oh gosh just about perfect I, I don't have any criticisms to levy it's so good it is the Empire Strikes Back of the series right it kind of ends on mm. a downer you know it ends with more shit that they gotta do but Oh, I love everything. Yeah, in a way. Movie. I mean, they, you know, they 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 overcome the one obstacle, and then they realize like they they got an even bigger one facing them. Yeah, so just just tremendous. I absolutely love this movie. Um, and it made a ton of money. Oh yeah, yeah. It cost ninety four. I guess that's a budget spread over three films, so I don't know how they broke that out. But it made nine hundred and fifty. Oh. I believe it's the top grossing. I think uh, Spider Man came close. I think it had like nine hundred twenty five. 
Um, but yeah, 950. This was a year. Most years have like one movie like this. 2002 had like four movies like this. Mm-hmm. So um, at any rate, I think this is a pinnacle, pinnacle movie. Yep, for sure. Uh, how about uh, 25th Hour? Did you watch the sure did. Spike Lee joint? Yeah, yeah. Did you watch it by any chance? Uh, no, but I'm really familiar with it. I've, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, so I'm, I'm cool if we talk about this one. Yeah. Um, so it's a Spike Lee film. He made, you know, of course, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X. Uh, shot, I, this is right, an incredible budget of $5 million. Um, it's, a, it's a lot, it's a character piece, essentially, and it's all shot on location in New York City. Yeah, probably most famous for being the, the first movie to show Ground Zero. Yeah. Um, the premise of it is that um, it follows uh, the life of a, of a man uh, portrayed by Edward Norton as he knows that he is about to be sentenced to seven years in prison. He basically is allowed to walk free to um, kind of set, set settle his affairs. And it's his last day before being incarcerated. Um, and he spends it with his two best friends and his, uh, his girlfriend, I guess, or wife. I'm not sure if they're married. I think girlfriend. Um, you know, so it's... It's a movie that I guess wants to capture the meaning of one day, how much value one day can have in someone's life, especially knowing they're about to lose the next seven years of their life, potentially. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually kind of a cool concept by Spike Lee to really not resolve anyone's stories. This is not about resolving narratives. Um, this is very much just about catching people in the middle of the arc of these big events in their lives. And it's not just... Edward Norton's character. It's also his best friend, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is a teacher that has, has a kind of inappropriate thing going on the side with one of his students. Um, and then on top of that, you have Barry Pepper as his other friend, who is a, who is, is essentially a day trader, I guess, or he's a stock trader who's kind of living a, a kind of go-go uh, 80s life, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was great. It's, it's a fairly long one. It's a clocks in i think at like two hours and 45 minutes Oof. uh yeah so you're, you're spending a good chunk of that day he has left with him um but you know I, I really i really enjoyed this movie a lot yeah yeah i really like the way that uh spike lee uh constructed this this sort of narrative based around like not not necessarily like an impending doom but an impending uncertainty uh, they they don't know where the events of their lives in the, during this day are going to lead them. They they know there's a big change coming, but it, it's more of like the the fear of what might happen after the big change, rather than what it is that is actually like the, the big thing that is going to happen in all of their lives. Uh, probably one of the most like uh, iconic scenes in the movie is like Edward Norton by himself in a bathroom, just like ranting at a mirror. Yes. Um, and and sort of like coming to terms with like he's got no one to blame for his situation than himself. He'll like I go in there like hey, well, f- fuck the police and fuck the clergy and like give all these reasons like for all these like institutions of corruption, and then just like, tackles end, like, just all to... of these slice of life people that populate mm-hmm. New York City, the kind of people that you wouldn't know existed unless you were someone like Spike Lee who's lived his entire life there. Yeah, and and, and in the end, so just kind of like have to look in the mirror like no fuck you, you did this to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and that's the whole premise: is that like he could have, he you know, he could have sold out somebody else, but he chose to do this thing where he takes the fall for it and has to do time. So, like, that's that's the another 
sort of yeah i mean he's selling drugs he has he's got you know nothing nothing to be proud of there so he has you know his dust just desserts coming towards him for having to do the seven-year sentence the only thing that was in the back of my head the entire time as soon as they said seven-year prison sentence all i could think of was die another day and how how just totally pointless seven years later he's in prison for seven fucking years this entire movie spends like two and a half hours making me think about how horrible it is to know the next day of your life is a seven-year prison sentence. And, like, Die Another Day is just like, uh, it's a title card. So seven years. And don't worry, he's surfing again. <laughs> yeah, he's surfing again. <laughs> this, is, this is a great film. Um, I, I do enjoy it. I don't think it's the most entertaining film of this block, mm. but I think it's a very rewarding film to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you watch Antoine Fisher? I didn't even have it listed. No, I didn't. Um... That's that's one um, that I'm interested in checking out. Maybe maybe another month. I think that's the one with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, if I remember correctly. I think you may be right. Um, but yeah, as I understand, it's it's a premise similar to um, Goodwill Hunting. I think where it's like mm-hmm. someone's sort of this untapped genius. Um, okay. So I don't know. Could be could be good. I I got Gangs of New York next. Oof. You know what? So do I. Uh, I really like this movie. It's such a Interesting departure. This one uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. You might recognize him. Um, yeah, I've heard a couple of times. <laughs> uh, bringing bringing out the dead. Most recently, Casino. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's such a different movie from uh, from Bringing Out the Dead, and such a different movie from uh, a lot of other things that he did. We're kind of like entering a more uh, modern phase of of his career because uh, he's when you think of like an evolving filmmaker, he has done like so many uh, different things and has uh, sort of redefined, Oh, not only like what it is like for, for himself as an auteur, but also like what it is to, to be like a gangster movie is probably what he's most well known for. Um, but it's this, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess kind of a character piece where we're following, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and I think it's their first collaboration, and they'll work together a bunch more times after this. Um, but Leonardo DiCaprio, fresh off of movies like Titanic and The Beach, um, and he's this young man in li- living in New York in the uh, 19th century, right as like the Civil War is starting up, and we, we get like a, a scene at the beginning of the movie where Liam Neeson and Daniel Day-Lewis are having like this this street fight, this gang fight. And Daniel Day-Lewis kills Liam Neeson and a younger version of Leonardo DiCaprio is Liam Neeson's son and gets uh, sent away to an orphanage. And then once he is out of like this, this orphanage institution, now he's going to be out to uh, avenge his, his dead dad. So... Um, whereas, you know, in, in later movies that, uh, Scorsese will do like the departed, where it's like this cat and mouse game, um, gangs in New York plays up about a lot differently because there, there's always like this, this superstructure to where you, you're, you know, that at a certain point DiCaprio is going to like make that turn and like look for that right moment to be that like snake in the grass and strike and take out Daniel Day Lewis, but there's like an attachment that grows between them. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is able to ingratiate himself to to Bill the Butcher, Daniel Day Lewis's character. Um, but in doing so, like starts to like uh, learn from him and sort of like I uh, have this like this this surrogate father son 
relationship with him that he becomes dependent on. So uh, you, you do eventually get that turn. Um, but in, in a really interesting like uh, narrative sort of structural device, he doesn't succeed in this assassination attempt. And then you have to like see, you know, the, the, the fallout of him failing to kill the butcher and then having to like uh, uh, grow as a character to, to become more concerned about the, uh, the, the conditions of his, of his, his fellow Irish immigrants in New York, rather than just focusing on like his, his single minded uh, quest for revenge. Um, it is kind of a movie that plays out in like four acts. You don't have like a, a, a simple three act structure. You have uh, at, at the end of the second act where you think you're going to get like the highest point of conflict. Like, Oh no, we're, we're now just at the halfway point. Um, and then you get the whole like back half of the movie with like Brendan Gleeson and all, the, all these great like uh, actors in this movie. Anyway, I'm rambling. Real big thumbs up. What do you think of this movie, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with all points. I do think it's an interesting idea that yeah, like his character, he takes up the moniker Amsterdam, Amsterdam Valen mm. to find find to uh, hide who he is. But really, I mean, the whole movie, everything exists in orbit of Bill the Butcher, and um, we're watching him, but we're watching him in orbit around Bill. It's always yeah. about Bill. Everything is about this character. He is the centerpiece. He is the you know top top listed cast member. The whole story is really about him, um, and I do think that's a really interesting way to portray it because you sort of have this life within a life that you're following. You're kind of following along Leo directly as Valen, but it's all in pursuit of Daniel Day Lewis's character. Um, you know the like the attention to detail in building this world out is, is fascinating. Um, I believe they constructed five blocks worth of sets for this movie. Um, it's it's interesting to see that opening sequence, which is supposed to be set, I guess, in like the 1820s or maybe 1830s. Um, kind of, and it, and it does feel so primitive, this primitive battle that takes place between the, with the dead rabbits or whatever, and the, uh, whatever they're- The natives. They're deeply racist group that, mm. that Bill heads. Um, and they they throw down and then you yeah you flat you flash forward 20 years or whatever and he's sort of back and ready to engage in this like i guess sort of count of monte cristo style plot where he kind of embeds himself with this gang and stuff and it's very very cool to watch you mentioned like how many great performances are liam neeson you know he's, he, he dies pretty early on in the film but you see him throughout the film and other scenes brendan gleason awesome John C. Riley in his third movie mm. of the month. Um, I saw a lot of people weren't big on Cameron Diaz's performance in this, and I guess it's because of her accent or something. Yeah, I think that's like one of the the criticisms around Cameron Diaz's performance is that she doesn't have a great Irish accent. I mean, it, yeah. it probably would have been better if she didn't try. But like, as, as far as like her her ability to act, I never like questioned that during the movie i thought she was good same but, you know, yeah. just... i i didn't watch that movie and think there's something wrong with this performance until i read a bunch of people saying it and if anyone's like like this whole movie by the way is so in a historically inaccurate at times mm -hmm. this really feels more like a tarantino film i mean you're literally watching sequences like the warriors like there's that big throwdown where he calls out all of the various gangs in new york and they're all cartoons 
Like, yeah. they're all so silly and absurd. Um, you know, I, I think the movie is a little... Honestly, if I were to let Lavia complain about it, I would say the, the plot's a little scattered. I think there's too much. There's the revenge plot we're watching, obviously. There's the nativists versus the immigrants. Police corruption. The draft riots. Like, the whole thing about electing... Uh, what is it? Brendan Gleeson's character then to just yeah, immediately get him killed. <laughs> yeah, the political corruption that's going on, and I, and I think like that sort of thing. Like I, I can understand. Like it's it gets a little bit convoluted, maybe a little bit meandering when it comes to those particular plot points. But I think it goes to show like uh, Bill the Butcher is like just this this gravitational force. But when you zoom out just a little bit, he's still a small time crook. Uh, a small time thug because he doesn't like wield any actual power except for a, a, like the, the end of a club. Uh, once, once you get past that, he's just some bully who exists uh, within this small space. And because the space is so small, it makes him look big. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to see it too. And um, you know, yeah, he does also seem nigh indestructible. Like literally the mm. thing that kills him is not, one of these people who hates him putting a blade through him, it's indiscriminately by the bomb from a ship. Yep. That's what that's what ultimately kills him. Like he's going to kill Leo's character, Amsterdam. He's gonna fucking he's a right before he's about to kill him, he gets blowed up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, it that that's kind of what that's what his downfall is. He lived this entire life basically without any comeuppance until that moment. Like and it was again totally random. Um at the point of real history on this, New York City in 1910, the population was 90,000 people. In 1960, when this film takes place, it's 1 million people. They weren't, they weren't joking that weird stat they throw out where there's like, there's 12,000 new people arriving here every month. That was real. Um, imagine the immigrant surge, what it must have been like to people that actually were from New York um, to just see, see that unprecedented growth. Again, mm. not not to justify anything about what the nativist people were doing, but that's largely what their complaint was. It seems like they kind of wanted they didn't want to cede control to this new population coming to New York. Yeah, yeah, and that was, um, you know, like you're saying, very like blatantly racist. Not not against uh, uh, not only against you know people who are immigrating over, but you know, uh, showing that like not everyone who's in a northern state was like this this sort of slavery abolitionist like there are still uh people who are racist against black people living in new york so oh yeah you, the, the, he attended look. a play where it was seemingly having um you know kind of like an anti-slavery message and he he and was getting the crowd to boo it <laughs> you know yeah yeah like they clearly were not on on yeah like you're saying they were not abolitionists so it's a cool, cool bit of history. And he's absolutely stylizing the shit out of this. Oh yeah. Um, it, yeah. it, it again, it, it feels like it's not trying to be the most honest and accurate portrayal as much as he's trying to make a pretty slick action film with a lot of cool drama. And again, pumping a budget of $97 million into this thing. That's a fuck ton of money. And it shows mm -hmm. like this movie looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, there's a ton of like interesting set pieces. Like when you start out, it, it almost looks like you're you're in like this cave, and there like the, all these like uh, dark stone walls, and like you you like move out into like wooden scaffolding. And there's like people like doing like blacksmithing in there, and like when when you move out, you realize you're you're in a city, and it's like this this you know uh, um, 
transition from like something very primitive into something like going modern uh and there's like one of the running themes uh throughout the movie is this sort of like a resistance to moving into to a more modern culture but uh just like the the way it's so heavily stylized it's probably one of the more colorful bombastic scorsese movies and just like the the characterization uh how a bombastic, I guess. There's a character, it's just, just some rando side character who does not get that much screen time and might not have any actual lines called Hellcat Maggie. And she's like this, oh, this yeah, lady. Oh, yeah, with the sharpened with the, teeth. With the sharpened teeth and the and the, the finger claws uh, that are fashioned out of metal. Just, just, just some person that shows up every once in a while. Doesn't yeah. really have much impact on anything. It's just there. <laughs> oh, well. It's like a comic book. It really is. But yeah, uh, I really like it. Big thumbs up from me. Yeah, same. Worth watching. Uh, let's see. What we got next? Um, I have two weeks notice. Okay. That is... Um, uh, I, what's up? I, I did not watch that one. This is Sandra Bullock's Bullock one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's Sandra Bullock and um, uh, Hugh Grant. Uh, mm. So just to... Like, why should we talk about this one? Well, it cost $60 million, which is a lot for a rom-com, but it also made $200 million. Um, so this mm-hmm. was a pretty big one. Mark Lawrence, uh, his directorial debut. Um, he basically uh, wrote a bunch of n- a number of like Sandra Bullock films prior to this. So I did watch this movie. I don't know if I mean I can give you a quick hit on it if you. Just... Yeah, yeah, we can go ahead and talk about that one. Okay, uh, I actually think this movie is kind of overachieves. Um, I think that both of them are kind of uh, charming. Um, they're they're both given the space to do what they do. Hugh Grant's incredibly quippy. Um, you kind of like the, the Sandra Bullock's neuroses. She's pretty adorable with all of that. And the idea is that she um, basically unintentionally becomes the assistant. She sort of finds herself stuck in this um, this relationship with Hugh Grant, who is just sort of like a thriving industrialist um, and, and a real estate magnate in New York. And she becomes the, his de facto assistant in spite of not wanting to be that. Um, but she also has a um, codependent relationship with him where she just can't seem to escape him. Um, and he clearly just sort of exploits her and is, and is cool with it. It, it, it doesn't sound, this sounds more like a psychological drama. It is a yeah. rom-com. Um, <laughs> it is a romantic comedy. Um, and of course, they find a way to make it work it all out where it's like the whole time he's, you know, he's the one that's been the submissive one and Sandra Bullock's been dominating him or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's like a 40 screwball kind of setup. You know, where it all works out and then he ends up being the lapdog in the end kind of thing. Um, it's okay. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I think, again, this, this, is, this, is those t- this is a movie that knows what the actors do well and just makes them do that thing. Um, and they've got enough chemistry together to make it work. Uh, three notable cameos. Uh, you have famed Mets catcher Mike Piazza. He is okay. in this. <laughs> um, you have uh, musician Nora Jones, you know, fresh off of Come Away With Me, selling like 30 million copies or whatever. This is, uh... nice. And um, a, a, a guy named Donald Trump. Uh, so, <laughs> again, this, this is a movie about New York real estate magnates. So, of course, someone like him would have a cameo. They get some clown to be their mascot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a footnote. He just shows up in the scene real quick and says a few lines, and then he's off screen. But yeah, that's that's what's going on in this movie. Honestly, it's it's okay. You really, you really, if if you wanted to see a Sandra Bullock rom com, I think you found a good one. If you want to see a good Hugh Grant one, you also got a pretty good one. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
What do you got? Catch me if you can. Yep, I got that too. Like, and let's keep in mind, this has been just an an absolute insane run of films so far, and we've got a, quite a few more to go. <laughs> yeah, this is like a, a murderer's row of of directors here. It, yeah, woof. It, like every every like good living director at the time is putting out a movie this month. Um, so this this one's Spielberg, and again, Fre- fresh had, off uh, of by the way, just fresh off of Minority Report, AI, and Saving Private Ryan. Those are his last three yep. films. So uh, again, we get. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, mm-hmm. is one of the the male leads, and this one, the other one, is uh, Tom Hanks, and this is sort of a, a based on the, um, the 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 early life of a noted con man, Frank Abagnale. He forged checks and used uh, forged checks to sort of like uh, uh, do things like travel the country or accumulate wealth and was uh, notoriously difficult to track down and catch. So the the movie, um, I, I really like it. It is a, a really fun time. I won't break down the entire plot like I just did for there, Gangs in New York. Yeah, there's so much going on in this movie. So many different but, beats yeah. throughout. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I, I think like it's, it's really interesting to see uh, DiCaprio sort of like, uh, grow as this character like you actually like watch him age like because when he, when he starts out um he he runs away from home because of uh his, his parents getting divorced and starts this crime spree and like the more he gets away with the more he'll attempt and he's always just like pushing the edge of what uh how how deep into crime he will get uh, until, until he kind of like gets himself trapped in a situation where he can't like change his name and make his escape because you know he falls for a girl, Amy Adams. Um, but it, it's interesting to like watch him age throughout because you watch him from being like this this kid who ran away to like this this young man who's just like I'm just gonna do all the crime I fucking want. I'm gonna steal all this money, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, and you get um, Tom Hanks playing the the FBI agent who's Tasked in charge of hunting him down. Yeah, Hanratty, I think is his name. Yeah. Carl Hanratty, who's like uh, when um when when I watched this movie years ago, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Uh, not until I watched it the most recent time did I like find out he's just kind of like this dick. He's just kind of an asshole. Yeah. Uh, whereas before like I saw him, like no, nah, he's just like some FBI agent and he's a little bit silly. Like no, nah, he's he's like mean to his co-agents and like <laughs> He left his wife and like is a neglectful father, yeah. and uh, he's just like, you know, like uh, Frank will be like, like when he's captured on the airplane, like, hey, can I share half your donut? He's like, no, like eats the whole thing like in one bite, <laughs> <laughs> like just like it's like really petty shit that uh, that he that he pulls. Um, well, he is kind like, of he is the, the, he is sort of a victim of being the only one that appreciates what he does. I think that so yeah. many times he has to explain to the children around him, his coworkers, like how significant the crimes being committed here, like these financial crimes that are going on. And to them, it sounds so boring because it's not cops and robbers stuff. It's not yeah, bank heists. Fraud. It's check fraud, which doesn't sound glamorous, but can yeah, account for like, millions. There's this really great scene. There's so many really great scenes in this movie. There's yes. this really great scene where uh, the Carl Hanratty and like his, his couple of co-agents uh, go to meet uh, Frank's mom to try to get some more information about where he might be. And at, at the end, um, like they, they discover like, Hey, this is uh, this is definitely who we're after. We have a picture. We know what he looks like now. And like, okay, they, 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 they start to rush off and she's like, wait, uh, did he steal some money? I'll, I'll pay you back. And like, oh, goes to check how much, yeah. how much does he owe you? 
And he's like, $3 million, and then just leaves. <laughs> and, and it was like the 1960s. It might as well be $3 billion. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is such a great moment because it really puts to perspective what people think he's doing versus what he's really doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I've watched, again, this is one of those movies I've watched a couple of times, and I really feel like I'm seeing it with new eyes. And I got a, I came away with this one thinking this is one of the best movies of the year and that this is maybe Spielberg's best film. And that's saying something because mm. he has made some incredible films. This is one of the most enjoyable movies you could just sit there and watch. It is, it's a, you know, we watch a lot of films that make you like think about things or they feel important. This one is just fun. You know, yeah. it's such an enjoyable world to be in. It's a quippy film. It's great narrative, great characters. Everything about it is just just easy to watch. It's got a nearly it's nearly three hours long, but you don't feel that runtime at all because you get you get sucked into his voyage. You get sucked into his little journey. Yeah, for sure. When I looked at the runtime uh, when I watched it again, I did not ever realize on previous watches that it was almost a three hour movie. Like, it, oh, it's yeah. long, but you don't you don't feel it. Um, and like and and all of like the major characters like, like get their their moments. And you really get to like see all these really great actors show off their chops. Like Christopher Walken, anytime he's on screen, you get like little glimpses more about like his downward descent, and uh, like he's he's just kind of like this this scummy grifter. And at, at the beginning of the movie, it's a little bit charming, like the the things that he's pulling. But then like he'll drop like little lines about how the like, the IRS is just out to get him. Like, oh, you're you're. You're just like like this sleazy crook. Yeah. But like you you you, you get this really great scene. I've, I've um I, I did a little bit of research about this scene in particular between uh, DiCaprio and uh, Christopher Walken, where they're they're sitting at like a diner table and like they the, the parents have been divorced for a little while and uh, Frank Junior is trying to talk Frank Senior into like trying to go win his wife back and like they they recant the story about how. Uh, he like he he met her in France and like wouldn't leave the war without her and all this. It's a story you'd you'd heard before, but um, they had done that scene a couple of times and weren't like really able to like uh, find it. And uh, then uh, Spielberg just like kind of like told the two of them like you know just just forget everything before just fucking go for it just really laid on thick and you get like this really like, heart-wrenching moment where like christopher walken is like holding back tears like choking back this story that he's telling um that, really really great I, I think it's great that you brought up christopher walken because i did want to talk about him specifically in this movie and christopher Walken's one of those guys that is just menacing kind of mm-hmm. in all of the other films that you associate with him he's usually playing uh, very dangerous people and to see this sort of humanity in a character he portrays is just so nice it's a side of him you don't really see much and mm-hmm. you know right he is that kind of scummy grifter but he's also a father who feels kind of great shame and and his mm-hmm. inability to keep his wife and to provide for his family um and yeah i, I kind of i just love his performance in this it's so mundane and yet so earnest yeah um, for sure you know uh, Again, like, just the scenes. Like, again, you didn't want to... We don't need to do a breakdown of the plot, but let me just tell you some of the scenes. Like, him pretending to be a teacher. Fucking hilarious. So, so good. <laughs> uh, so good. The way that he charms... And you get that, oh, wait, wait, you get that great father-son moment. Like, when he gets busted and they're leaving the principal's office and they just kind of, like, grin at each other. Like, the, oh, yeah. oh, he almost got away with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, him duping cashiers. 
um, mm-hmm. is is great. The way that he kind of charms them, uh, the same way that he charms tailors and attendants. Um, getting paid to sleep with a prostitute um, is a mm-hmm. very funny thing that occurs. Learning to be a doctor from watching TV. Um, I especially love that rant that he delivers um, at the start of the trial where he's just learned to become a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. and, then, and the judge is like, what the hell is wrong with you? You don't even have a jury. <laughs> and one of my favorite little moments is at the very end of the movie when everything's done and they bring him in and he's like breaking down the fraudulent check. And it's just all of these incredible little moments. And Tom Hanks is communicating so much just by looking Back, looking at him do the thing, looking at the other partner of his being like, this guy can really help us. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole scene, just absolutely delightful. You know, Mar- Martin yeah, Sheen is, is great in this too. Can't forget his, mm-hmm. his performance. He's, he's delightful. This was also like, the, the names of the women, these are all women who would be, have great careers, but Amy Adams, Elizabeth Banks, Ellen Pompano, uh, Caitlin Doubleday, and Jennifer Garner are all different women that kind of come and go through the course of this film yeah elizabeth banks uh alum of wet hot american summer and director of <laughs> cocaine bear and director of cocaine bear <laughs> oh yeah well what a great movie uh, oh and i mean if, if we're rounding out our thoughts john williams did the score for this thing oh my god the score is incredible mm-hmm. what, it's it's like jazz it's basically just him doing a jazz score which is kind of nice it's not doing the big full orchestration thing Gosh, just sounds. Yeah, it, it just it's, sounds good. It's just so good. It, it's so different from you know what what we've seen in other movies like like Lord of the Rings and um, yeah. fucking Gangs of New York. All these like uh, big like sweeping scores. So this one's just like yeah, it's it's gonna be small and punchy. It's also there's a lot of articles that I found circulating around this because of course last year was the 20th anniversary of the film and um, also apparently Netflix picked up the rights to it and in December of 2022 it was the number one film on Netflix. Hmm. So it basically got a complete rebirth with a whole new audience that had never seen the film. Perfect for perfect timing for Christmas. It's a good Christmas movie. There's like five different scenes and set during Christmas because it keeps calling yeah. them on Christmas Day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, same month. Like this this asshole moment where Carl is like, "Hey, we're always talking on Christmas. Why are you calling me?" You have no one else to call, you loser. Like you're you're a fucking loser too. You're sitting at work on Christmas. Right. Who the fuck are you? Oh wow. <laughs> anyway. Uh so fifty two million up. to make it, three fifty uh, in box office. Well earned. This movie is mm-hmm. great. Did we even talk about this fit in the fifties? Like it's set in the fifties yeah. and, and like Spielberg did such a great job capturing the 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 era. Like mm. it's even feels like it's kind of shot in that kind of not exactly right technicolor. You know, uh, very very cool, very very cool. How uh, um, how many more we have? Oh boy, uh, not many. Not more. many. Yeah, we've got like maybe three or four. Uh, Chicago. Uh, well, we're gonna skip Pinocchio. Uh, Robert uh, Roberto Benigni's Pinocchio, which is like rightly rightly regarded as one of the worst films ever made. Okay. Uh, well, now we gotta watch it. Yeah, yeah we got it now. <laughs> it's a it's a live action telling of Pinocchio. Apparently, the American dub is fucking hilarious because like. The artists doing the dub are just so confused and don't know what they're reading. I'm in. Um, yeah, okay. Do. We do have Chicago, though. That's the next film. Did you watch it? I did, yeah. Did you watch it? Uh, I, no, I did not. Is it worth watching? Uh, It's it's going to win Best Picture. <laughs> do you want to uh, watch it? I don't, not, not really after that. That pregnant pause was in his third trimester. <laughs> True. 
So I think it's 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 your mileage will vary on how much you like musicals and specifically how much you like the music in this movie. Hmm. So I would um, I don't know I kind of would recommend you watch it, but also I totally okay. get if you don't. I'll just tell you what I think. I think it's a well-made musical um, with big set pieces and choreography and a lot of musical numbers. Um, uh, Rizé, the whole premise is that this woman uh, murders her husband and has to get sent to women prison where all of these women are on trial for murdering people. And um, it's got this kind of like nine, like, like, like 1920s vaudevillian jazz score. Um, big cast. This is John C. Riley's second film, but also uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Queen Latifah, Lucy Liu, Tate Diggs is again here, keeping his face. Uh, Dominic West is in it. Um, again, I think it really, it, again, it's so bombastic and so big. This is great as a musical, but if you don't like the songs, you're not going to like the movie. Hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think it's got a couple of good songs. I, I think the other interesting thing about it is oftentimes you'll watch a musical where plot happens and then a musical number happens and then people just sing and dance for a bit and then the plot happens again. This movie very in- interestingly weaves them together. So they'll have a dance routine number that also shows the events of like the courtroom that's happening when she's put on trial for the murder okay. and all this stuff. It's cool. It's it's really, really cool how they did all that. Um, I don't know how this is the best picture of the year according to the Academy mm. Awards, but it is. Mm. Um, it's 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 okay. It's, it's, it's fine. I think it's a really good film. It's really well made, but if you don't like musicals, you're probably not going to like it. Kind of feels like some of the other movies split the vote a little bit that yeah that very well may be the case um i do want to check out the hours did you watch that one sure did thumbs up oh oh great well it's the worst of the great movies <laughs> okay okay well let's why don't we bank that one for next month yes and then uh the last one on my list is the the pianist the roman polanski yeah sure enough i watched that one too me too um, and this, this is why I think uh, Adrian Brody will win the Oscar for Best Actor yep. for this one? Question mark? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Um, it is a uh, a movie about uh, the, the Holocaust, specifically about the the Warsaw Ghetto in Poland. Um, and it's uh, it, it is interesting where it's it's a Holocaust movie that doesn't focus on the concentration camps and more about the the ghettos um there is like this this like a uh, presence of concentration camps like they'll, they'll call them work camps because there there's uh, of course they don't actually know what's happening at these things but they get referenced a couple of times and there even like some some really horrifying scenes where people are about to be loaded onto trains but it, it's more about how Adrian Brody is sort of like navigating the situation and just trying to stay alive during this entire situation while fucking everybody else around him is dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty exhausting film. It's very emotionally draining to watch it. It's mm. two and a half hours long. Yeah. And like you're saying, yeah, yeah, this is, it's not about, he, he evades the concentration camps, but he can't leave Poland. So he's basically stuck in the, I guess the Warsaw block, basically a, a, a ghetto, a, a prison, uh, a worker camp. Um, and there was a sort of like paralysis throughout the entire movie. Like there are a couple of points where you think there's, there's going to be like a call to action, like some sort of like instruction. Of course, like, uh, 
anyone with, with a vague familiarity of history knows that like the, there's not going to be an uprising in the Warsaw ghetto that's going to overthrow their oppressors. Um, but there there are like these moments where there's just a line of of people who are about to be executed, just like shot in in the head, um, and it happens a couple of times and you're like as as an audience member you're you're like witnessing the paralysis of people who are just unable to help themselves and no one able to being able to come them and like in in your head you're thinking like oh if if i were in that situation i'd try to jump the guy with the gun or i'd like make a run for it but you know where are you going to go like you what are you going to do like you you jump the guy with the gun then what happens so you know they're they're uh, these people who are in like these these impossible situations with absolutely no way out and no control over anything that happens in their lives. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the movie does a good job of showing you that slow burn that happens mm. where you know you see the early on in the film. I mean, the opening sequences is literally archival footage of uh, Warsaw in like the 1920s, and it's a it's a bustling city. It looks like any other city in the world. You know, and then from there the film starts, and you kind of see they live this kind of posh society, and then slowly they end up being overtaken by the Nazis, where they just start they basically just walk troops into town and say, "Hey, we're only interested in the Jews, and we're only going to pick on the Jews here, um, and then they're only going to make them wear armbands, and then they're only going to make them have passports, and they're only going to do this and this with every step." you know you can see how they thought okay this this they don't know that the end result is going to be end mass execution of all of them you know they they don't they still think that there would be some humanity within mm. the nazi regime that they wouldn't engage in that and sure enough they did and that's kind of you know why you see at the very end there is that rebellion but i mean if, i haven't even looked up the numbers and i think the death toll is like 20 20 nazis were killed yeah. Compared to the, I think three hundred thousand Jews were killed from from the city that he's in. Um, yeah, and, and God, this is a brutal, brutal He's like movie. he's he is the last one left, and there there is a sort of interesting juxtaposition, and like there there's, uh, I have a lot of complicated feelings about what they did this, but like the last like bit of kindness that he experiences before like uh, the the city is emancipated. Um, is that a, a Nazi soldier like gives him a coat and does not reveal, or a Nazi officer like gives him a coat and does not reveal that he is hiding in that building where they're like so this Nazi headquarters because uh, he has no other recourse, he got no other place to go. Everyone else who was able to help him is either dead or arrested. Um, so you know you do, you do get like that one last bit of humanity from a place that you don't expect it, and uh, I. Mm. Well, the I kind of wish. The guy's still, guy's still a wish commander. All the Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> he's still a commander of the Nazi forces, and I'm sure there were a lot of them that were like, eh, "I do feel bad for this one," or "I feel bad for that one." And then they probably all had guys that they were sneaking stuff to, to keep them alive. But at the same time, you can't engage in this, yeah, this sort of operation it, and act like you're, you're still. Yeah, you're still fucking Nazi. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, just an absolutely gut wrenching film through and through. You you do see the endless cruelty at every opportunity this film shows you just how um how awful the Nazis were to these poor people. Mm. Um Yeah, it's I don't know. Uh, do we should we talk about who directed it? 
Oh, I'm Mr. Roman Polanski. Oh my God, so much to unpack with this human being right here. Like, yeah, I think, I think we've talked about him a little bit before. Yeah, yeah. So Roman Polanski, fame director of things like Rosemary's Baby and Frantic. Uh, also, uh, not allowed to come to America. Uh, because oh, not welcome here anymore. He raped a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife was murdered by the man. His pregnant wife was murdered by the Manson family. Um, Polanski's had a life. His a lot of things have happened to him. He would win the Academy Award for Best Director, which he couldn't receive in person because if he did, he would have been arrested. Yep, you'd have to mail it to him. And as of today, I believe he's got four new sexual assault allegations against him. So it wasn't just this one thing. He's apparently got a history of doing this. Bit of a creep, this Polanski guy. Um, But he may have done the most brutally honest and accurate depiction of what Jews endured during the Holocaust. Hmm. This is kind of a weird movie to end on. Yeah, on that note. I have two more films. <laughs> oh, please, go on. <laughs> so you haven't away. even seen them and, and aren't really going to... I'll just mention them. Um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Uh, I did watch that one. Oh, you did? The George Clooney film? Yeah, I forgot that that one came out this month. Yeah, sure did. It's based on a Charlie Kaufman script. Uh, it is a quote-unquote unauthorized autobiography, <laughs> mm. which is a great title for a thing. Um, and it's it's based around a TV producer who wrote an autobiography about the kind of wild life he had producing things like the Gong Show and just being a, an it maker on TV in the seventies. But then also yeah, this like this, was a this CIA really, like, assassin. Schlocky, yeah, yeah. there's really like, schlocky television, the the dating game, and yes. uh, things things like that were like oh, oh raunchy, but like they couldn't be as raunchy as they like. Uh, wanted to be so there was like full of innuendo um what we could like consider like garbage tv oh yeah yeah he would be the one making like reality tv today Mm. um and yeah like the other thing is in his autobiography he wrote that he was a cia assassin none of which is true he absolutely has nothing true about what what he's saying there yeah like like off the books even though he was never actually employed for the cia he was like an asset of a cia agent yeah, um, you know it's it's a fun enough movie. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. Sam Rockwell plays the lead character Chuck Barris. Um, it almost feels like an Edgar Wright movie at times. It's so snappy mm. and has all of these interesting like little directorial flares throughout. Um, all in all, I, I actually I would recommend it. It's just a little weird. Yeah, yeah, I recommend it as well. Um, and it almost like. Uh... I was about to say almost like the aviator at the end, but the aviator comes after this movie. Uh, so the aviator is a little bit like confession of the dangerous mind where he's like holed up in oh, yeah. a room and uh, drew Barrymore is like talking to him through a door to try to like bring him back to a little bit of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like a, a really interesting, just like downward spiral of this character who's very clearly delusional. Mm-hmm. What's, what do you got for the last one? Um, it is a Hong Kong film, Infernal Affairs, directed by Andrew Lau. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so most people in America probably watched this movie and don't realize it because they watched The Departed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. This is the, the film that The Departed is based on. Um, and, like, The Departed is, is, is very faithful to this movie. Um, it's a really, really cool cop drama about competing moles, one that's inside uh, the crime syndicate and then one that's inside law enforcement, both working for the other side. Um, that kind of cat and mouse game that the two play is pitch perfect. This is one of the most entertaining and exciting and 
like think pieces of a detective story it still manages to have its fun with some shootouts now and then but honestly it's just such a clever constructed trap on both ends um really well shot the the way that they capture this this kind of like uh hong kong city life is really cool very inviting very fun to watch absolutely love it it's really really good um i I would say the only thing that if you've seen the departed this movie does not play out like the departed and the character specifically the character that's portrayed by um oh uh what's his face uh matt damon matt damon yeah he's 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 far more a mastermind than matt damon's Mm. character is portrayed and they also have like they there's each of the two have their own love interests. I think that the American version tries to cram those two love interests together into a single woman. Mm. Um, but other than that, it's it's largely the same kind of film. Oh, and it's so much about technology. It's very much about technology. The then new clever ways of using things like cell phones and stuff. Um, kind of like what you would get from a 70s film like uh, the, the Conversation or The Blow Up or something like that really cool movie it's it's kind of a weird footnote to this giant slew of films that came out this month but it's really really good and absolutely worth watching cool and yes it was a giant slew of films we skipped probably half of them and we still run on for more than two hours oh my god i know right <laughs> absolutely insane the amount of movies guys like fucking september exists all right you can put a movie out in august it's okay yeah, don't don't do this to us next year. Oh my god. Um, but so next up, this this will be the last show for this year. How'd you guys feel about two thousand two? Are we pro two thousand two on this podcast? That was a pretty good year. Oh, everything shined. Music was great. Movies were great. There's like, that DC sniper, but that wasn't so great. Yeah, yeah. You know, looking ahead to two thousand three, it won't be. I don't think anything will live up to this year. Hmm. But we'll see. Um, but next up, uh, we'll do our year in review show. Uh, we will talk about the the Pokemon DLC, so we'll keep a little bit of a Pokemon theme for the first show of the month, but that'll be first up in January. Uh, in January, the shows tend to get a little bit mixed up because what we'll do is we'll do our year in review show and then we'll follow it up with a general like look into 2024 what we know about and those will be the 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 first two shows uh and then maybe um when we do our 2024 preview we'll kind of like morph it into a mini show maybe do some tier rankings if we want to get back into that and then we'll we'll try to like reestablish some sort of uh pattern uh when we get to to february but we'll definitely do a retro show as well so we'll We'll kind of shovel things around, but we'll we'll hit all the major ones and be able to talk about all of the uh, all the movies that we didn't talk about this month. <laughs> oh, and Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> oh, yes, perfect. <laughs> all right, that's it. End of podcast. So long. Later, good. <laughs> <laughs>